0: Good morning. If you are newer to Trinity, if you're visiting with us, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is the second week in a series we just started called Rooted and Built Up Habits for Growth. And before I get too far into that, I just want to start off by telling you that I believe there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, first, I think there are the kind of people that they get ready to go to sleep at night, they go into their room, they lay down in bed, pull up the covers turn off the light, their, their head gets on the pillow, and then they think for a while. They, they lay there in the dark, maybe they're processing the day, maybe they're planning something, maybe they're worrying about different things, but, but their head hits the pillow and they just think for a while. But there's another group of people in the world, and those, are, that's those of us who, we go to get ready for bed, we, we get into bed, we turn off the light, we put our head in the pillow, and we just go to sleep. And I'm very much in that category. But my wife is one of the thinkers. So pretty consistently, probably at least once a week, we go to bed and she starts thinking about some profound idea or brainstorming something. She wrestles with it for five or ten minutes and then she leans over and shares it with me and asks what I think. But I'm long gone at this point. And if she's lucky, I might make some kind of a grunting noise in response, but there's no way I'm going to reply with a coherent sentence. And she's left to keep thinking, oh, alone. I'm actually a night owl. I find it easy to stay up late, but as soon as I turn off the light and lay down, then I'm out pretty quickly. I've just always found it really easy to fall asleep. Um, I remember in college, my first two morning classes, I I would always try to take a short power nap between them. And when I say short, I mean like six to eight minutes. Uh, One ended at 8.50 a.m. and the next one started at nine, but in the hallway, they had these really comfy chairs. So I would sit down and doze off for a little while. But I always knew that I had to set an alarm. Because even though it was only a couple minutes, if I didn't set an alarm, I would have been out cold and I would have never made it to the next class and probably not the one afterwards either. A couple of my sleeping highlights, just because I know you guys want to know this. I once fell asleep standing up in the shower while leaning against the wall accidentally. (laughs) And that's probably number two. And number one is, uh, one time we were visiting Hannah's aunt, and they have a a boat up on Lake Winnipesaukee. We were taking a cruise across the waves, kind of bouncing along, and I fell asleep with my head in my hand, like, bouncing like that most of the way across. They, later on, like, they didn't believe I was really asleep, and I had no idea what they had been talking about. So, keeping this in mind, I want to tell you about um, when I first started really connecting with God in a personal way, and I promise this will relate, Um, Around the end of middle school and the beginning of high school, I started to really experience God's love for me in a strong way. And so I decided that I wanted to spend some time with him intentionally. I wanted to set aside some time just to be with him, to grow closer to him. And, And I thought I would do this by reading the Bible and praying, you know, two pretty regular things. And so at night, I started reading a chapter or two of the Bible before I went to sleep. And this was the first time I had read the Bible for myself. Someone had given me a New Testament and a really easy-to-understand translation. So as I read this each night, you know, for a while, it just felt like I was having a conversation with God. Like, he was right in the room. It was so personal. It was powerful. It was a really meaningful experience for me. And so I would read the Bible for a little bit, and then when I finished, I would fold it up, put it back on the shelf. Then I would turn off the light, lay down in bed, and then I would begin to pray. Now, if you're paying attention to the first thing I told you, you may be able to guess that my prayer time did not develop into anything long or meaningful. <laughs> I, I would usually make it about a sentence or two into the Lord's Prayer, or maybe I would pray about one or two things that were right on the front of my mind for a minute, and the next thing I knew, my alarm was going off, and I was waking up in the morning. I, I wanted to spend time, though, and I thought that praying would be a significant way to do that, so I just kept trying harder. You know, I tried to focus intentionally on just staying awake. But no matter what I did, as soon as I started praying, I just started drifting off to sleep unintentionally. This lasted for several weeks, and it took me a surprisingly long time, maybe even an embarrassingly long time, to realize that if I was ever going to have a meaningful uh, way of connecting with God through prayer, it wasn't going to happen in bed at night with the lights off. So I had to start praying while the lights were still on and I was sitting on the edge of my bed or maybe kneeling there. Because I, I had had the right intentions before. I, I knew how to pray and I was putting a lot of effort into it, but my habit of praying in bed in the dark was still working against me anyway. And, and I found that that was the thing I needed to change. You know, no matter what my intentions were, no matter what my knowledge was, no matter what my effort was, the habit had to be replaced. So last week... Pastor Kirk kicked off the sermon series and one of the things he said was that we can have great goals, we can learn a lot of Bible knowledge, and we can really want to grow in our faith, but a lot of the times we don't realize the power our habits have over us and how much they're impacting us. Sometimes we try to practice certain habits on purpose, other times maybe we just have a hundred different repeated patterns that we've gotten used to that we do every day, but they're unintentional. They've just kind of sprang up in our lives. But whether they're intentional or not, our habits, these things that we do, on a daily or weekly basis, they have a lot of power in shaping and changing who we are. So for the next several weeks, we're taking a closer look at our habits, and we're going to be exploring, are there habits we may want to uproot or eliminate from our lives because they're working against us? And are there new habits, different habits that we want to plant or build into our lives because they might be able to generate the kind of growth that we hope for? And as we look at all of this together, we're keeping in mind that when Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. These two statements are our core goals as we try to follow Jesus. So as we think about habits of uprooting some and planting others, we want to think what kind of habits would help us grow in loving God more deeply? And what kind of habits would help us grow in loving the people around us more? And this morning, I'm going to be focusing specifically on uprooting habits that may get in the way of us learning to grow in loving God. So eliminating habits that may make it harder for us to grow to love God more deeply. You know, what are those patterns in our lives that make it difficult, that we might need to uproot in order to make space for loving God more authentically? And I think it may be helpful as I get into that to try to define a little bit, you know, practically, what does it look like to love God? You know, if I asked you, what does it mean to love God? I think you could answer that in a lot of different ways. They could all be accurate. They could all be interesting. But I want to make this a little concrete. So I've reflected on this a little bit this week. You know, what are some of the key ways the Bible talks about us loving God? And one thing I'm going to skip because we'll talk about it in a couple weeks is the Bible definitely emphasizes that we love God by loving other people. But we'll be really focusing in on that soon, so I'm going to jump to four others that I want you to have in your mind this morning, four ways that I think we can practically love God. One is to put our trust and our hope in Him. Another is to live with an attitude of thankfulness or gratefulness to Him. A third way we can love God is is to obey Him or to open ourselves up to be shaped and changed by Him. And, And one last way to love God is to enjoy Him, to give Him our time and enjoy spending it with him. So as we reflect on what habits we may want to uproot or eliminate today in order to grow in loving God, it may be helpful to think, what makes these things harder for us? What am I tempted to put my trust or my hope in instead of God? What makes it hard for me to live a life of thankfulness and gratefulness to him? Where am I tempted to be shaped or influenced by other things that might compete with what Jesus wants for me? And lastly, what gets in the way of me giving my attention to God and enjoying time with Him? And as we get ready to dive into some of these questions, I want to open up with a short story from the Gospel of Luke. If you want to follow along, you can open up a Bible. Uh, the book of Luke is about three-quarters of the way through it. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. So we'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The first thing I want to look at is the way this says that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, That phrase has a lot of cultural meaning for their time. To sit at someone's feet is to take the posture of a student, to to learn from them. It it actually is supposed to be a picture of, you know, surrendering yourself to them because you're opening up to be shaped by them. You you have a devotion to following their leadership and, and learning from their teachings. And as a side note, Uh, Any other teacher or rabbi around this time would have actually never let a woman take this position and learn from them in this way. And so it's radical that Mary decides to take this posture with Jesus, and it's radical that Jesus approves of this and commends this. Mary loves Jesus, and so following him is her passion. And even though it's radical, she takes this posture because she wants to love Jesus by giving him her her attention, and, and, and she enjoys spending time with him. She also wants to learn from him, be shaped by his teaching, and because of all this, she's portrayed here as just a picture of what it means to love Jesus. But the implication in this story is that Martha also loves Jesus, but something is getting in the way of her expressing that. Something is getting in the way and preventing her from acting on that. Martha also wanted to love Jesus like this, but she's distracted. Jesus says that she's worried and upset. Hospitality was incredibly important in their culture. And so when Jesus comes with his disciples, uh, she feels a sense of pressure to host them and to prepare food for them. And and, while hospitality is a good thing, it's a great way to love people, she's overburdened by it. And she becomes distracted by it to the point that she can't even spend time with her guests or, or spend any time in the presence of Jesus. And it seems that this is probably because Martha felt the pressure of meeting a certain standard here that Jesus seems to think is completely unnecessary. But maybe Martha found her value in her work. And so maybe she's putting this pressure on herself because she's trying to live up to meeting the certain standard because that helps her feel like she's good enough or or that she has value. Maybe she has a hard time recognizing that her true worth, her ultimate value, comes from God's love for her. So instead, she's working for it. She's trying to find that somewhere else and prove that to herself. And so she ends up leading a life of busyness that she can't keep up with. The culture we live in right now, especially here in the Northeast, is just like this. You know, it's built on motivations and values of productivity, efficiency, achievement. But one thing I always notice is that the couple times I've traveled to the South, if I go to a grocery store outside of New England, it drives me crazy. Because I, I get my stuff, I get it in the cart, I get up to the front, and people are just hanging out Chatting with the cashier like they have nowhere to go. And I'm sitting there getting all impatient like, excuse me, I have things to do. But I don't know if I always do. I think partially I just have this habit bred inside me that I'm only focused on trying to be productive or I'm just expected to rush around because I've grown up in a culture of people wearing themselves out to prove that they're worthwhile. We measure ourselves by how many things we're involved in, by how much we can accomplish, by how little time we have for sleep. And as more of us strive to earn our value these ways, we've built up a a culture of busyness that's not healthy to try to keep up with. Uh, Many of us would consider ourselves overscheduled or chronically busy. And what's tricky is we're often involved with lots of good things. It's not as if we could look at our schedule and say, well, these things are totally not worth any time, so I'll just cut back on these couple. There's many good things we can be involved in, but the The difficult part is we just let them keep piling up and we don't know when to stop. We don't know how many is enough. Sometimes we do this for ourselves. Other times we do this for our kids or our families because we think that's what's best for them. But who's really telling us that it's best for us or our kids to be involved in five activities every season? I think we're being taught that by a culture that believes we need to earn our value and prove our worth. I think we're being convinced to live that way by the same um, kind of misleading motivations that Martha had. But there's a gravitational pull into this way of life, and when we get trapped in that pattern, it starts to shape us. It starts to change the way we look at things. It teaches us to look for our value in the things we do. It calls us to keep up with everyone else, even if that means we settle for a bunch of good things but don't experience the best things. It makes it harder to enjoy God or spend our time giving attention to Him. And it makes it difficult for us to open ourselves up to be shaped by him. When Martha comes to Jesus with a heart burdened by these things, Jesus responds with compassion. His tone is soft and gentle. He says, Martha, Martha. Maybe Jesus would say the same thing to you, just replace your name in there. Maybe he would say, you're stressed out and anxious because you're trying to live at a pace that you weren't made for. And then he might go on and point out some things that you could uproot and eliminate from your life to make space for sitting at his feet, for enjoying his presence and being shaped by him instead. Many of us have habits like this, and I hope this week you'll take a little time to reflect on kind of what this life of busyness has ingrained in you. But I also want to move on and look at some other habits. So I want to turn to the habits we get from mindless media consumption. We all have our favorite versions of this. It might be watching TV, it might be playing video games, it might be scrolling through social media, or even obsessively following the news. Now, I'm not saying that all these things are always bad. You know, there's a good and healthy way to engage with them, but they're very easy to start turning us into just passive consumers and causing us to mindlessly consume things as a habit. And to illustrate this, I want to paint a little picture for you. Let's say you make a New Year's resolution, or you decide that you want to change something in your life, and and you decide that what you want is to grow closer to God. So you decide, um, maybe like I was doing, you want to read the Bible, or you want to start praying, maybe journaling or something else, and you're going to do this in the morning, either before you go to work or before you have to work on some responsibilities you have each day. So you set aside that time, but when it comes time to do that, you're a little distracted by your phone. And so you hop on Facebook or Instagram and and you tell yourself I'm just going to look at this for a minute or two and then I'll get to the time with God. So you do look at it for a minute or two or 5 or 10 or 15. At some point you notice that you've been on there longer than you intended, but even as you notice that your thumb just keeps scrolling anyway. And and after a while you realize that you don't actually have much time left for God. You need to get to work or you need to start doing things that you're responsible for that day and and so you rush through an abbreviated reading or maybe a really short prayer, and you, and you feel bad the rest of the day that you gave more of your attention to your phone than to God. And you tell yourself you're going to make up for it tomorrow, but you notice over a month or two that this happens pretty regularly, a lot more than you'd like to admit. Now, some of you may feel like I'm watching your life a little too closely with this example, but I can only explain it this well because I've experienced it for myself. So my pattern in this would be scrolling through Twitter. Now, Twitter, if you don't know what that is, it's a social media app, and I use it to follow sports, to follow news, to follow a few Christian leaders and pastors. And what got me into Twitter, um, I think most of you know that I'm an obsessive Patriots fan, is I realized one year that I could find out what was happening in free agency quicker on Twitter than I could by checking ESPN.com. So I got Twitter, and there's been a lot of good things I've gained from it. I find a, really, a lot of really good quality articles I learn stuff from, but it's also designed to be addictive. That's on purpose, just like every other social media, because the longer you're on it, the more ads there are, the more they can make money. So it, it breeds sort of this habit of passive consumption. And I know that I'm particularly susceptible during NFL free agency, around the NBA trade deadline or maybe during a political election cycle when there's all kinds of news going on. I'm also vulnerable to mindlessly wasting my time on things like this when I'm stressed, or if I'm lacking focus because I didn't sleep a night. It becomes easier to procrastinate or escape hard work by going right to that instead. And anything from social media to TV or video games can, can cause us to just consume, it can consume an unhealthy amount of our time. Uh, They're easy and mindless, so we just begin to give it away passively without thinking about it. It's not on purpose. And sometimes this becomes a direct competition for our time with God or for enjoying the presence of Jesus. At the end of a short letter in the New Testament called 1 John, one of Jesus' original disciples, he says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. This week may be a good time to ask ourselves, is the way we consume media is giving away a part of our heart that's meant to be for God, if it's taking a place in our heart that's a little too important or significant in the way that we treat it. But it can go further than that too. When we treat um, social media streams or, or news this way and we follow them obsessively, they also start to be the things that shape us more than anything else. We spend more time sitting at their feet instead of the feet of Jesus, and so we begin to obey their teaching and be, and be changed by what they show us and tell us about the world. This can be true for a lot of things, but I think it's easiest to give an example when thinking about political news. So maybe you have a favorite news station that you watch for an hour or two most days a week. Or maybe there's a particular website that you read articles to keep up with things on consistently. Maybe there's a politician that you follow maybe with a little too much of your time. You're a little over-devoted to that. And and many of us do these things on a consistent basis, and I think the internal problem is we start placing our trust and our hope in these things instead of Jesus. Maybe we want to see certain cultural changes. Uh, Maybe there's some cause that they stand for that we like, but we start to hope that they will be what brings us Ah, what's good, that they will be what changes things for the better, and and we put our trust and hope in them. And there's a healthy way to engage with these things. It's good to be involved, I'm not saying that, but we need to consider where our trust and our hope lies And, and whether we need to uproot some things because it's going somewhere other than to Jesus. The prophet Hosea speaks to these temptations because they've been around and they've been challenging the human heart for centuries. He says, oh, Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. I am the one that you can put your trust and hope in. It doesn't belong anywhere else, and that won't be good for you. But we're tempted to put it somewhere else, and these habits encourage us to do it, even if we don't realize it. Now, as we talk about uprooting and eliminating the harmful habits in our lives, I want to be clear that this is not about kind of working harder, or putting in enough effort to earn God's love. Uh, None of us can earn God's love and he lavishes that on us as a free gift. Uh, We don't have to try hard enough for it and we don't have to do well enough to get it. Uh, That's just who God is. That's what his character is like. He's loving and he pours that out to us. And, And he loves us even when it takes unimaginable sacrifice. There's a passage that I love from the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It emphasizes this. It's talking about how Jesus was willing to sacrifice for us and it says, though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I've read this verse a lot of times, but looking at it again this week, I saw something different that I hadn't noticed before. I noticed that Jesus had to uproot certain things in order to love us the way that he wanted to. Now, Jesus has never had any sinful habits, so it's not exactly the same as some of the things I'm talking about, but he did have things he needed to sacrifice and set aside if he was going to reach out and love us with the depth that he wanted to. He had to set aside his control, his status, his comfort in order to come into our world, in order to live among us, in order to experience all the hurts and the hardships he had on this earth, and then to offer himself up on the cross. So we're not looking at shifting our habits and reordering our lives today in order to earn God's love or be good enough to Him, but we're grateful and we're overjoyed by the way He already loves us. And in response, we just want to look at how we can grow in loving Him more authentically. This current season right now before Easter is commonly called Lent, and depending on your background, maybe you've given things up for Lent before. Maybe you've given up chocolate or coffee or even social media But a lot of times, we might practice this without really anything deep underneath it. We kind of just get used to a habit or a tradition. And it may even become, I've heard people talk about it as if it's a chance to go on a diet or or do a cleanse of some sort. But that's not really the intention of Lent. The, The goal is to set something aside in order to connect with Jesus more, in order to give Him our focus and our heart. And that's the same thing I'm talking about with uprooting habits. We're aiming to uproot certain habits that may get in the way or make it harder for us to love Jesus and connect with him. So this week, I want to invite you all to reflect on what habits and patterns in your life uh, might unintentionally be getting in the way of that. Maybe things that you wouldn't even consider a habit because you didn't start doing them on purpose, like the fact that as soon as you wake up, you reach for your phone and start scrolling through something before you get out of bed. I want to invite you to kind of look at these questions, and they're in the app if you have it, and, and ask yourself What am I tempted to put my trust or hope in instead of God? What makes it harder to live with an attitude of gratefulness to God? What do I let influence or shape me more than Jesus? What's competing to try to shape me and tell me how to live? And lastly, what gets in the way of me giving my attention to God or enjoying time with him? Spend some dedicated time this week trying to go over in your head what your typical day is like, or even your average week, and and try to examine are there some repeated actions going on there? Are there some habits that you weren't even aware of? How could you answer one of these questions and and choose one, maybe two things max, but less is more? Choose something that you might want to begin to uproot or eliminate in order to make space for growing in love for God. Uh, You might find a way to cut back on something to get out of this pattern of unnecessary busyness. Maybe you'll decide to uh, turn off your phone for an hour a day just to show that you actually have self-control to do that. Maybe you'll just eliminate a habit of complaining or entitlement in order to give yourself the chance to be more grateful and focus on all that God is to you. Feel free to find something that's totally unique to your own life, but whatever it is, your goal is to make space so that it's easier to grow in loving God. Jesus tells a parable at one point that I think relates to this. Uh, He talks about a farmer scattering seeds. Some of the seeds find good soil to grow in, but Jesus says uh, about some of the other ones, he says, other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Later on, while explaining the meaning of the story, he says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. There's a similar effect when these weeds and thorns of habits and patterns in our lives grow up and get in the way of loving God. We may want to, we may intend to, we may be putting effort, but something is working against us. So let me just invite you to reflect intentionally this week and consider, is there a habit or pattern in my life that I may want to uproot or eliminate in order to make space for growing to love God more deeply? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we don't come to this trying to love you or do anything in order to earn your favor, in order to perform for you, but God, we just know how much you love us. We are just thankful for the ways that you care about us, uh, way more than we realize, how you are paying attention just to the details of your lives, and you care about each one of them. Even when things are going wrong, God, you are sad for us, your heart breaks for us, and you want to comfort us and be with us. God, we just ask that in response to your love that we would feel it and experience it this week and you would help us to see what is one way we might be able to move something that's getting in the way so that we can live out our love for you in response more deeply. We pray that you would show us how and give us the power to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.